Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So we're going to look this morning, before we have uh, share in communion together, we're going to look into God's Word at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. This summer we are doing a series from 1 Peter, and a very appropriate passage for our communion celebration uh, today as we share together. It's nice to be back with you. We missed you while we were gone. It's good to be back with you and see all of you, and we're looking forward to a great week. And I want to just uh, reemphasize as well, uh, please come to the picnic Thursday night. It's a great opportunity to meet some of the families, the young people have been coming during the week. It's a fun time. It's out there in the front line. We'll have a short program in here. Uh, it's 530. It's a great picnic, and I hope that you can come and join us for that. Let's pray before we look into God's Word today. Father, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we do, uh, once again, uh, pause and give you thanks for the freedom we have in our country to open your Word, to proclaim it, to share it. We do not take this for granted, Lord. We know there are many brothers and sisters around the world today who have had to meet in uh, great danger, in persecution, uh, and Lord, uh, we pray for those brothers and sisters as well. We are one with them. But we do thank you today that we come and proclaim freely your word. So that being the case, Father, uh, might your words be heard. Might we uh, just take them serious, consider them, and apply them to our lives as we come to the communion table and share the bread and cup today. We pray this in Christ our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, and our passage this morning begins at verse 13, and I want to just, I want to focus on one particular area, so I would like to just read, though, the first part. This, this first part, verses 13 and following, uh, fit with um, Paul's teaching as well, uh, very similar to Paul's teaching about, in Romans particularly, about the Christian and government. I remind you, while this was written, it was during the time of the emperor Nero, and it was a very, uh, could be a very difficult time. There were, there were persecutions that came and went uh, during those early, early years and into the first and second century. And during that time of the Roman government, uh, Peter says in verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do, God, who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Live as servants of God. And just, just a short comment, you know, the Bible in the, in the gospel, in the New Testament, in the epistles, very careful to, uh, to tell the Christian believers uh, they are not to be anarchists. Uh, we are not here to draw attention to ourselves, but that by submitting ourselves to authority, uh, respect for authority, yes, there are times, like Peter said, uh, to, the, to the Jewish officials, that uh, you are asking from us what, what must be given to God, we must obey him first. And of course, if that time comes where we are put in a position where we are asked to do something that is contrary to the scriptures, we have a right to obey God first. But we are to be a people who respect authority, uh, young people. Uh, just, you know, kind of a side note, as we'll, and we'll talk about some of this this morning. 
that one of the most important things is you, some of you are moving on now to a, to a new world of college, preparing for careers. Some of you are starting new careers and jobs. Uh, one of the things that will stand out is, is a healthy respect for authority that is so important that is, and is so godly. It tells us here to respect authority, beginning in your own homes with your own parents, uh, grandparents, uh, your leaders, your teachers, your youth pastors, and so forth, your Sunday school teachers, um, your church leaders. Re a healthy respect and a godly respect for authority is biblical. And it begins with every one of us. And as adults, as grandparents and parents, uh, we set an example too. Be careful. Uh, find that balance. Uh, you, can dis you can disagree with authority, but we are told to have a healthy, godly respect and let's model for our young people what we are told to do ourselves. But I want to look at verse 18 and, and following. And Paul then, he begins the, a section that's addressed to slaves or servants. But I think we can see it quickly transitions to everybody. Okay? So while it begins talking, to, I'm going to use the word servants because the word that's used here is oiketas. It's a, it's a word... Oikos, which has the idea of house, you know, from economia, uh, house, that this idea of house servants. Um, there's another word used in the Greek for uh, servants, doulos. Maybe you heard of the doulos ship, for example. But the word used here particularly is one for household servants. So I think the word slave here might be a bit strong because from our background and our, our, our history, uh, we think of slavery in a certain context. Servanthood, slavery in the Roman world was different than what we might think of. Um, it was quite diverse. It was actually the backbone of the Roman economy and the Greek world. The many, many authorities, you'll see this in many places, uh, suggested that up to a third of the population were in some type of servanthood. But servants in the first century could be professionals, and what we might think of today, uh, doctors, lawyers, could also be servants. Dr. Luke could have been a servant. I'm not saying he was, but he, he could have been. Um, uh, all sorts of professions and jobs from construction to building to management of finances to, to, to doctors could be servants. Servanthood could be for a certain amount of time where you worked your way out of it. You could, just as in our own American culture, in the early part of our uh, colonial era, uh, there were many who came to America and sold themselves as indentured servants to pay for their, their right of passage and their fare to get to America and then work their way out of it. So when we think of this, this is why oftentimes when we see these passages like here and in Paul's writing where we have instructions to servants and we transition some of this guidance and advice to those who are working, to employees and employers, it's not that far-fetched. Because, uh, because this was, it was a different scenario than you might think of. So, I want, so when he says, listen, servants, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only, and this is important, not only to those who are good and considerate. That's easy. It's easy to submit to someone who is good to you. It's easy to submit to someone who is kind to you, who treats you well. That's a natural thing to do. And in your place of employment today, I mean, it's easy for Pastor Gary and Pastor Kevin and Susie to submit to me, right? Because I'm, you know, I mean, what else would you ask for, right, Kevin? Thank you. Thumbs up. You know, but, but you know, if you have to work under someone who is, who's oppressive and unfair and unjust, uh, that's not so easy. 
But you notice what he says here, and I, and I think this is good advice for all of us, especially for those of you who are in a working situation right now where you work, um, you're employed. You also, to those who are harsh, you can still respond positively and godly in a difficult situation. And oftentimes, and many of you can relate to this, many of you may work in situations where it is very hard. You may have supervisors or coworkers that make life very difficult for you. Um, for most jobs, and this, this goes for almost all jobs, we know that the most difficult thing is not usually the task you're doing, but the people you're working with, right? That's the way it is, because we're human. And so this advice is, is good for everyone. Because he says in verse 19, it is commendable, it is good. It is good for a Christian. If he bears up, if a man bears up or a woman bears up under the pain of unjust suffering... Because he is aware of God, and the NIV uses the word conscious here, and that's a good translation, an awareness of God. Some translations may use the word fear there, and that we know we are to have a godly fear, but the word that's used here is, is really translated well in the NIV, conscious. We are to be conscious, aware of the fact that, that we belong to God. In every situation we find ourselves in, we are, we are serving God. This, and, and the Bible makes this clear. Listen, you know, sometimes, sometimes we talk about people in full-time Christian work. You might refer to, you know, Gary and Kevin and me and Susie as full-time Christian workers, and, and we appreciate that. But I want to remind you, you too have a Christian vocation. You are in full-time Christian work, whatever it is. Uh, if you're retired and whatever, whatever God has given you, if, you, if you're no, no longer working right now for whatever reason, you still are involved in full-time Christian work. You are serving God, and everything you do is for God, everything. And you serve God first. And so Peter tells us here, and he tells, he tells these believers he's writing to, that even in difficult situations, you still live godly because you are serving God and you are aware of your service to God. You are to be conscious of that. He goes on to say, how is it to your credit if you receive a, a beating, um, you know, some kind of punishment for doing wrong, and you endure it? If you, if you, if you do something to deserve punishment or reprimand, reprimand then there's no significance. In, 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 that's not suffering. That's, that's due rewards. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And I think we transition here to everybody, to the whole church. He's not no longer just talking to slaves or servants. The transition clearly as we read this, the transition is to everybody now, to all to, to, to Christians. And I want you to notice we this is a very appropriate as we read this and for a few moments and then we share communion together. I, we couldn't have had a more appropriate passage. We didn't plan this when we did the layout of the weeks for it, but it, this is so appropriate for communion. To this you were called to what? To what? Suffering. We are called, in fact, the Apostle Paul tells us, anybody who desires to live a righteous life will suffer persecution. Now, persecution can take the form of literal physical persecution, of physical harm, of losing jobs, of uh, being incarcerated for the Christian faith. Persecution and suffering can also take a lot of other forms. Um, you know, Satan, and we'll see in Peter, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, uh, you know, temptation and weakness uh, in certain character areas of our lives can be a, a suffering. 
um, uh, holding up under derision or um, ridicule, um, physical suffering, physical suffering. We brought many today in prayer. There are many forms of suffering. There are many forms of challenges, we may say, in life. And the Apostle Peter here says that to this we were called. It is part of our calling. It is part of our calling. Um, you know, we want, I want everything in my life to be good. I want my family's life to be good. I want my children. I don't, I don't want them to suffer. And I don't want to suffer. But there is a sense in which this is our calling as Christians. And then he, here's the important part. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. And this is what I want you to think about as we come this morning and receive the bread and the cup together. Christ is our example. Now, you know, if you go downstairs today, you'll see downstairs in the, in the building, you'll see all over the church today, fish. Our, our theme is uh, uh, island. It's an island theme this year. Isn't that relaxing, that nice picture there? If you're kind of getting drowsy or something, it's okay. Just sit and focus on that and uh, think about that nice scene there. But don't think about Shipwreck Bay. And, um, but downstairs, you'll find all over the, the basement some little cut-out fish like this. I told Susie I would put this right back. She said, don't worry about it. There's hundreds of them down there. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I know right where it came from. But you know what? This fish was physically cut out by somebody at our church. Who did it, Amy? Raise your hand if you were the person who cut this fish out. Okay, someone did it. I didn't do it. <laughs> anyway, um, and it follows a pattern. All the fish downstairs in the wall look like this because they were all cut from the same pattern. And this is what the word that, that Peter uses here. It's actually the word that was used for like a teacher who was instructing students to, to copy letters of the, of the Greek alphabet. That's the word that's used there. So if you've ever done that, if you've ever written words out and had somebody copy them, that's the pattern. That's the word here. And Peter says that Christ is our pattern. This fish was cut from a pattern, a model that is to be followed precisely. And there are two specific things that he says here. I want you to notice this. This is, this is, for, this is for Christians. Now, as we read this, I also want to remind you, as we, as we saw the first week, that in Galatians, the Apostle Paul said, the Apostle Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the circumcision, to the Jewish community, as I was to the Gentiles. And so there are things in this passage that have a special importance or connection to Jewish people, to Jewish Christians. And we're going to see this in this passage here, and especially from the quote that we see here. But I want you to notice the quote in verse 22. If you have a newer translation, you may notice it kind of offset, like it's a quote, which it is from Isaiah 53. Quote, as an example, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Um, now, what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind for just a moment, is keep something here in, in 1 Peter and go back to Isaiah 53, because we're going to look at a couple passages as we, as we can, uh, wrap this up here. Isaiah 53, go back in your Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah 53, and we can put a, a bookmark or something there, because we're going to go back to that, because I want you to notice that the rest of this passage is so tightly connected with Isaiah 53, which is so strongly connected with the death on the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And you notice in this quote from 1 Peter, if you look at verse 7 of Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. This is talking about the suffering servant of God. This was written by the prophet Isaiah well before the New Testament times. But looking ahead, this great messianic passage, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth at the end of verse 7. So he did not open his mouth. And then in verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And we have here a direct quote from Isaiah 53, back in first, keep, your, keep something there, Isaiah, and go back to First Peter. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, here's the pattern that Christ set for us. Peter says he became a pattern of, of, of something to follow. And there's two particular things that we are called to follow. I think there's two particular uh, frameworks here for our life. First of all, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Pattern number one, Jesus Christ is my pattern. The Apostle Peter says, Jesus Christ becomes the pattern for those who call themselves Christians, Christ ones, Christ followers. Now when Jesus was, a, was, was oppressed, when he was before the Sanhedrin, and they, and they hurled insults at him, when they slapped him, when they spit on him, and as the song says, he could have called 10,000 angels. When, when Pilate, the Roman local governor, when he, when he accused Jesus, and when he asked him questions, and when he, don't you know I have authority to kill you? And Jesus says, the only authority you have is from God. And the only thing he responded to the, to the, to the Sanhedrin was, as, as you say, you claim to be the Son of God. You will see the Son of Man coming in the power. Jesus did not, he, he was insulted. He was abused. They, they, they cursed him. They, they lied about him was false witnesses. Everything about that trial was illegal by Jewish law. By Jewish law, everything about that nighttime trial was completely illegal. Completely. But Jesus did not take revenge. And pattern number one for me from this passage is, as a Christ follower, as a Christ one, as a Christian, is that, you know, I have plenty of opportunity in my life Sometimes I deserve it, as Peter says, if you, if you, if you're, if you're are abused or taken, if you're reprimanded for doing wrong, expect it. But we all have plenty of opportunity. When we have not done something wrong, when you have, when you have consciously tried to do what is right, when you can go to bed at night with a clear conscience that I, I, did, I did as much as I know could be done before God that was right, and I was still taken advantage of. I, I still am being falsely accused. It is still costing me money. They are still talking about me. They are still slandering me. They are still telling lies about me. They are still doing things to harm me, to persecute me. Pattern number one. Christ is my pattern. I am not called to take revenge. Now, I'm not saying there's never a time where you know, you have to make things right, the, the, the court system, uh, using the church system, coming as brothers before the elders to work things out, as the Bible says. 
you know, I'm not saying that that's never placed. All I'm saying is, I think there is, there is truth that there's no place in my life to have a revengeful attitude. That's only going to hurt me. That bitterness is only going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt them. And the model, the pattern for my life, I am called, number one, to not, I, revenge is not my goal. Jesus Christ set the pattern and held his peace. And why? Here's the second part and the final part for us. The second part is this. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus Christ, when he was before Pilate, when he was before the Sanhedrin, when he went to the cross at Calvary and they drove the nails in his hands and nails in his feet, when they hurled insults at him, he put himself in God's hands. And the pattern he left for me, the pattern that Jesus left for me to follow precisely is that I am called to put my life in God's hands. It's the best place to be. It is the best place to be in God's hands. It still may hurt. You still may be falsely accused. It still may cost you money. It still may lose you a promotion at work. It might even be within family and those closest to you. But it's the best place to be, to put yourself in God's hands. And that is the pattern he left us. That is the story of the Gospels, that Jesus Christ entrusted himself to God. Go back to Isaiah 53 as we come to the communion table today. You look at this, at this passage here, and you look at the verses. Verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. It was God punished him for my sin on the cross of Calvary. But verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, the suffering of his soul, the physical suffering of Jesus Christ is one thing we can't relate to it terrible suffering, but the suffering of his soul as he carried the burden of the world's sin, the blackness and darkness. Uh, talk about unjust. Talk about unfair, unrighteous. But he, he willingly went to the cross and took every sin you've ever committed or will commit and carried it on his soul and bore God's punishment as God's wrath was was was. was was inflamed and inflicted upon the Lord Jesus Christ for my sin and for yours, for every one of you. All of our sins. And only you know and only I know uh, how much that is. He bore our sins. The very end of this passage. Therefore, verse 12, I will give him a portion among the great. He entrusted himself to God's care. As we come to the communion table today, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, here's your pattern. They hurled their insults, he did not retaliate. And then finally, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Leave it to God.
God will take care. You know what? Maybe there's something right now in your life that, that there's some bitterness, some feeling of revenge, some feeling like you, this is not fair, you've got to straighten it out. I, I, can't, I, you know, I can't be the arbitrator between all of them. I'm just going to tell you, sometimes, sometimes you just have to let go. You just have to let it go. And you have to give it to God. It, you're the one that's suffering. That bitterness is hurting you. Let go. Give it to God. God knows how to take care of it. And thankfully, God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. We're going to share in the first the, the bread, but before we do, we have a song we're going to sing, and then the elders are going to come, and we're going to share in remembrance of our Lord's death on the cross for us. Yes, the elders will come forward, and we're going to share the bread to you. If you'll just take your bread, if you'll just hold it for a moment, uh, we like to uh, all eat together as uh, part of the uh, unity we have as the body of Christ and the solidarity as, as one in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, in verse 24, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And the bread that you hold in your hand today is a reminder of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this word bore is really the word carried. And back in Isaiah 53, this is such a big part of this passage of the suffering servant of God. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried them. He bore them. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. He carried them. And then in verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. And this word for these Jewish believers, especially that, that Peter was sent to bring the gospel, they understood this. They understood the story of the Day of Atonement. On that day were Azazel, the scapegoat. There were two there was one that was sacrificed and there was one that the priest put his hands on and pronounced upon Azazel, upon that, that scapegoat, the sins of the people of Israel. And that goat was sent off into the wilderness. And during the rabbinic times, there were stations along the way where the goat would go and go and each time he would go, then he would go and disappear off to the wilderness and be gone forever as a visual reminder that he was burying, he was carrying their sins away. And the word would come back from station to station to station to station back to Jerusalem. They are gone. He bore your sin. He carried my sin. And he has carried it away from God's judgment for us. We are a thankful people. Amen? Amen. Let's eat together and give God thanks. I offer to you our humble thanks for carrying our sins away because you love us so much. Amen. Thank you, Jeff and Amanda. Give me Jesus. It's a great song. I don't know if you remember the last time that you were really sick or maybe you had surgery 
Uh, I've been in the hospital with some people this week. And, uh, you know, when you're really ill, or maybe you've just had surgery, and you think how good it would be to just feel good again, huh? Remember that? This would, it would be so good to just feel good again. And you get to that point where you feel like you got your health back and you feel good again. Then you can't take it for granted until it happens again. But Peter says this. He himself carried our sins and his body on the tree so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You have been healed. The sickness of sin and separation from God. You are free. You are free to serve God because you have been healed from the penalty of sin by his wounds. This cup we hold in our hand is just a visual reminder of the blood the lifeblood that was shed on the cross to bring you health and healing, shalom, and peace with God. Let's drink this as a thankful and rejoicing people that we are free. Our Heavenly Father, we hold an empty cup in our hand. And once again, it reminds us that the story did not end on the cross. It was the empty tomb that was the new beginning of life and victory over the grave and death. But we are told by Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth his death until he returns. And so this Sunday morning, Resurrection Day, we have shared together in a reminder of the price paid for our sin. And fathers, we conclude this service. I ask you that there be one person here today who honestly has to say, you know what? I've never received Christ's payment for my sin. I've never received salvation for my soul. I've never acknowledged to God that I am a sinner and that I can't save myself. And they've heard the gospel this morning in this service that Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully God and fully man, came to earth, lived a perfect life of obedience, died on the cross and offered payment for their sin. Oh God, you would open their heart right now to the truth of this message. And right now, where they sit, Father, they would acknowledge to you their need for salvation and receive Jesus Christ's payment for their sin. We don't want anybody to leave this place today without knowing how much you love them and that your desire is that they would come to you for salvation. In his name, we rejoice today. Amen. Thank you for coming today and worshiping with us. I trust this time has been time of reflection and uh, just remembrance of the price that was paid on uh, Calvary for our sins. 
And as you go home today, you know, the one verse that we didn't uh, read, but I would like to just uh, close with, this is good advice uh, for all of us to take home with us today from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We'll continue next week with chapter 3. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says this, simple advice, and it's found in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Can you do that this week? Proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. If you truly love God's family, pray for them. Encourage them. And support one another. Fear God. And honor the King. It's good advice to go home with today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to live godly lives. Lord, we know in our weakness, in our humanity, we, uh, we don't always do that. But our desire, Lord, this week is to walk with you, to live with you, to show respect to everyone, to love the brotherhood of believers, to fear God, to show proper respect and authority and thankfulness for the freedom that we have in the place where we live. And we go forth rejoicing in your family and the family of Christ this day. It's in his name all God's people can pray together and say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.